If you haven't been thinking about water on the homestead, it's time to start thinking about water. It's so important. It's one of our top two things for a successful homestead. Today, we're diving into all things water, how and why to have water storage and management in place on your homestead. Join us as we get started. Hey friends. Welcome to The Schoolhouse Life, where we answer your pressing questions and share useful tools for creating your most fulfilling, self-sufficient family homestead. We go back to basics in all things family, faith, and farming, and we're eager to teach you what we've learned, everything from growing a garden to earning an income to living a less toxic and more nature-based lifestyle. We're thrilled you're here and hope you leave inspired to live your life as a schoolhouse too. Hey friends, today we are going to be talking all things water. We've had a couple of requests for this conversation, and I'm actually really excited. We made a little bit of an outline, and we might go on a little longer than our normal time, but I promise it'll be interesting. Yeah, I think we've been visiting with a lot of different homesteads over the past couple of weeks, and I think everybody could use a little bit more help with water. In full disclosure, like even our homestead, I there's definitely still room for improvement. Well, and I think, I mean, our two fundamentals when we talk to people about self-sufficiency and sort of security are building your community and building your water infrastructure. So it's really a key point. If you have your water controlled, then you you know what's happening. You know where you're going to get your resources from. And really, water is the foundation for everything on your homestead and in your life, really. So, yeah, it's an important conversation. Yeah, I mean... I think, like, especially with this drought that we've been having in our area in North Carolina. I with, feel like we have that every year. Every yeah. year is a drought. Every every summer is a drought. Yeah, the, <laughs> the summer slump, as they summer call slump. it. Summer slump, yeah. But it just really reinforces, like, if you don't have water going, you're losing plants. You're losing life. And then, like, even more specifically, if you don't have water for animals, then you're in huge trouble. Well, and, and here's, the, here's the interesting thing is you can look – there are a lot of examples out there these days of years after people have sort of implemented some of the systems that we're going to talk about where they've turned desert into like oasis, oasis, oasis in the in the middle of an otherwise completely arid conditions. Yeah, so, I think the one I, I'm, it's probably the same one you're thinking of is Jeff Lawton, who's like a permaculture guru in Jordan. He has that, like, mm. you can see from, like, satellite photos, it's all desert except for his permaculture plot that is, like, an oasis. It's amazing. Right. And there's other places, too, just even thinking about some of the regenerative farms that we've seen, the comparison of the way that you treat the land and really the way that you're harnessing water in these situations is, is just transforming the landscape. And I think that one of the major things that we as humans do is interfere with how the water penetrates the earth. And if we can learn some simple ways to instead of deplete that but enhance it and a lot of times we have to you know you have to build a house you have to get rid of some topsoil and that's you know that's just a part of kind of the development of humans but there is a way to reestablish those systems in an even probably more efficient way and I think you know we're in the summer slump but even this week we've had two rain events that were two inches each the problem is it comes so fast that we weren't really prepared for it we didn't have a chance to our soil wasn't ready to, to sink that so how can we be prepared for these kinds of situations situations and take advantage of them and be then for the next couple of weeks when we may not have water set with the water that came in that one single event. Hey friends, when we're getting ready to put in a drip system, we go to dripdepot.com. They have all that you need to save water, save money, and increase your yields at the old homestead. 
at dripdepot.com. They have a solution for nearly every irrigation application from drippers to drip tape to polytubing. It's all there. And if you don't know where to start, you can give them a call, give them a chat. They will help you design a system that fits your homestead needs and get you started in the right direction from the very beginning. Drip Depot also offers low prices and free shipping on all of their products. Water the seeds, not the weeds at dripdepot.com. I, I think that's a fun point and something that with all the pasture management I've been doing, it's been really interesting. So yesterday I was at a spot and they had just had like a massive rain and then we were doing water, water infiltration tests, which is like mimics a one inch rain event. And it, the spot that we did, his pasture was amazing. And it actually like in one spot soaked up all that water in like three minutes. Oh, wow. Which the at our homestead, ours, the max is 30 minutes. And all of our water infiltration spots on our new pasture maxed out. So the, the point to that. Meaning is, it took longer it than took 30 It took longer minutes, than 30 minutes, yeah. Which is not good. Which is not good because when that rain falls, the best way that you can store water is actually in the soil. So I guess that's a good way to kind of start this whole thing. Well, I feel like, yeah, we need to backtrack a little bit and just talk about water as a whole because I think we kind of say, oh, you need to hydrate, you need to hydrate, and water's important. But I think we need to think about it even on a deeper level. How important is it, right? Like how how does it impact our lives? I mean, water holds memory. There's actually some really interesting research done on, and maybe some of you have seen it, and I should have looked up his name before we got started, but there's these really cool images that you can see of the structure of water after having been put in a jar that just has a word on it. So like it could be the word love and then there's this beautiful pattern that after a few weeks the water structure takes on. And then you can also talk about, you could have bad words on there, mean words like jerk or idiot or, or things that are condescending or it could be water that's been around really intense, harsh kind of what you think of violent music and it takes on the structure of those those frequencies put out by the words or by the music. And I How think do you see the structure of the water? With a special lens. Oh, <laughs> I think it's yeah. a microscope. But but anyway, you can see the images. You can search that online and just see there's tons of images con- that kind of correlate with these different things. So, I mean, not only does that implicate how important water is and how it holds something for us, it also is important to think about like the words we're using because it's changing the it's changing the water structure, which is changing our, our world. And really, when you think about climate change, it all is about water. All of that, right? Talk is about the water levels are rising or they're falling or, they're, you know, just changing the atmosphere and when and weather is really all water, right? You talk about humidity, you talk about storms, clouds, fronts, all of that has to do with yeah, changing water think, in the atmosphere. You think about the brittleness scale is just how much water is available in a in an environment right so not only does it hold memory and even thoughts and words these patterns i mean it really is the indicator of life and health not only that but it also is the key player in decomposition right you know if you have if you have a moist compost bin then you're gonna you're gonna do better and if it's dry you're not gonna decompose there's no there's no life in the dry yeah. Right. So the microorganisms and things that live in there are also a huge part of life. They make things bioavailable. So if you didn't know, homeopathic med- medicine involves a lot of water and actually dilution. And when we think of dilution, we tend to think of like, quote unquote, watering it down. But really what it will do in homeopathic 
medicine is it actually enhances the medicine. It actually strengthens and fortifies the medicine. And when you think about it, what it does is it makes it more bioavailable, something that we can ingest and then absorb into each and every cell in a really simple and fast and quick way because we are water, right? 70% of our bodies is water and 70% of the earth is water. So when you think about like biodynamics, it's kind of on the same wavelength, so to speak, is that they just take something that is powerful and potent and then they make it even more potent by diluting it even more and making it more a part of the water. And, and so one of the, the major ways that we can impact our lives is to improve the water that we're drinking and that we're using in our gardens and that we're, that's on our property in general. And there's some really interesting different ways of filtration. We have a Berkey filter, which is a charcoal based filter, which works really well. And it restructures the water as it falls through that. And then there's even some restructuring water tools out there, devices that you can pass water through and as it goes through it restructures that water and clarifies and those are called like spiralizers i think something along those lines something like that they're very cool and it's very interesting to see the studies and research on that as well yeah we've talked about that like if you are somebody that's on city water like there's kind of different issues that you have going on like you might Mm -hmm. have water available and it's not like you're not thinking about will you dry up your well if you're using too much water Mm -hmm. like but then you have chemicals and, you know, different things in your water. So you, you have your own set of issues there that you kind of need to think about. Like, you know, they have found like birth control in the water system and antibiotics in the water system. And Oh, a glyphosate. I mean, I think the list there yeah. goes on. So we are like really in this crucial age of like even existence where we need to think about our water more than anyone ever has because we have so much opposition in terms of getting fresh, clean, and well-structured water. Yeah, that that's what I was thinking too, is like the, in nature, like going back to the spiralizer, the thought behind that is that in nature, you see like lots of little, like if you go in a creek, you see little mm. like whirlpools every so often. And that's, that is kind of restructuring the water and keeping the water in a spiral circular kind of structure mm-hmm. where when you go into like pipes, it creates a linear which if you've heard us talk before you know like holistically nature is not linear right so yeah it creates an unnatural structure to the water which has got to be doing something not good for us which gives me like two two thoughts one on a sort of like devastating level you have taking all of these medications that people are flushing down the toilet because you know that's just what's happening um and you basically are turning those into homeopathic treatments for everyone like making them almost like more bioavailable and more like infiltrated into our system by diluting them um but then secondarily like a a thought is what if we took these restructural forms and they're really not complicated. They're kind of like, imagine a clover leaf is a really good example. And you can, we tried to make a fountain and it kind of works. It works. Yeah, yeah. it works ish. And we added that to the water feature we have on our homestead, but you, it, it basically takes the water, it comes in one vein, goes around one loop and then spirals around to the other and then spirals through one more and then it exits. What if you took that same form and you put it on our, our city water sources? They do make those that you can put in line with your pipes. Oh, that's the, awesome. The on your whole home. Yeah, that restructures the water like coming through your house. But even on a more global, I mean, like a whole city could do this right. on their city water, right? Yeah. Like it could be a really simple, but like who knows what the impact of that would be. Yeah. 
That'd be really But then even thinking about like how we treat our waste, you know, our waste is a lot, is water. I mean, like right. tons and tons of water. And we take it off of our property and put it in a city treatment facility. And then, you know, like kind of who knows what, like take, worst case scenario really yeah. of the biomass that we could be putting back in the earth and we're basically extracting it and then manipulating it. And then, I mean, it's just like, it's just not natural. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it unbreaks the full cycle of the homestead, like being able to grow your food, consume your food, feed your food, and then consume your food again, that cycle is unbroken or is broken Mm -hmm. and you're not connected to your land anymore. But I think we're getting, we're getting off the water topic. Like like (laughs) thinking about, okay, I really often compare our, the earth to our body, right? Like the earth is just a bigger version of our body and there's a lot of correlations and it's pretty easy to connect them. You know, talking about gut health and like the microflora and then the microorganisms and the, and the fungi that keep the world together, basically. Like there's just a lot of correlations, but water is a very good example of that. There's 70% of the earth is water and 70% of the human body is water, which is just really fascinating. I think you could probably break it down even more than that. We found a fun chart about like how much each of our organs or parts of our body are made up of water. Like your brain is 75% water. So if you're dehydrated, the first thing to go, right, is your brain. Like think about getting drunk, right? Like that's... Your liver is 85%. And yeah, and yeah, and your liver is 85% and it's the most taxed when you're dehydrated of anything. So yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. Your blood is 83% water. So, you know, what kind of water are you full of and I think I've taken some some holistic health trainings and we talked about that and your water like over time just gets murkier and murkier and murkier murkier and we just need to do a lot to be able to clarify and purify that within our bodies and of course that's one of the foundations of health if not the foundation of health so anyway a lot to consider with water but let's talk about how we can manage or manipulate or just kind of have more say in what the water on our property does so we can have more control over our property as a whole because yeah there's nothing worse than watching somebody haul buckets of water well, and I, I hesitate because the word that I keep going to is control and manage water like on the homestead. And I feel like that goes against kind of our principle of working with nature. Like, I don't know, maybe think, manage, I but think plan, man, manage or plan. I mean, you think about your health too. Like we want to control our health, right? right. We want to, we want to we wanna be better stewards of our bodies. And the same of our property, right? Yeah. But control is for sure. <laughs> feels like. Well, yeah, like controlling your body is good. Trying to control something outside of yourself, like. Oh, in if that we're linked, Drew. Yeah. Linked. I don't know. So I've been struggling <laughs> with the appropriate word. The terminology. Right. Yeah. But anyways, I think you catch our meaning. Right. And, and the first. The first and foremost thing is to catch the water, to catch yeah. it. And and this is the problem because like I said, when you when you do anything on your property, you build a structure or you dig a ditch or you plow a field, get an animal, you're gonna imp- you're gonna impact the water. And we've seen all of these scenarios play out on people's homesteads when we've gone to visit them and they're like, Well, we had all this erosion after we had the goats here, or we've had all this erosion, we can't control because you know, we built this structure here and we're just not sure how to get, you know, back into the not having this runoff. So catching it is huge. And, and that can be as simple as having rain barrels on your roofs. Yeah. And I think like the, starting at zone zero or zone one, yeah, like absolutely. don't look out the window of your house and not consider, you know, your house itself as a massive water catchment. In one rain event, you can 
pretty much hold most of the water that you would need for the year. Mm -hmm. The trick with rain barrels, especially like in our climate in North Carolina, is a rain barrel is not enough. Like you're going to have more water. Yeah, and those two events we had this week that would be overflowing. We would have filled like, you know, that was like thousands of Mm -hmm. gallons. So thinking about something like small ponds or rain barrels or like IBC totes, you know, we're... We actually just put in an order with a friend, or not a friend, a person on Facebook that is <laughs> going to get us more uh, IBC totes that are food grade ones because they're fairly inexpensive. They are. There's yeah. a lot of expensive water storage options out there, and maybe they're better, but these are more affordable. Yeah, and the thing I will say about IBC totes is you do have to hunt for food grade ones, but the cool thing is that there's a network marketing company that holds all their stuff in IBC totes and it's the ones we got for the lease land. Herbalife. Herbalife, yeah. They so this guy like gets all of them from there and it's like it's like soybean oil or canola oil or something like that that's not, not um something I'd want to eat. Not something, not something I'd want to eat, but it's not <laughs> toxic like the other ones I've seen are like ammonia and like herbicides and yeah. pesticides. And I've had people ask me like, can I wash those out? And I will say, like, the ones that we have... can't get it out of plastic. Yeah, the ones that we have that had the oil in them, it has taken, like, probably over a 1,000 gallons to get most of the oil out. So if you want to... You can't really get inside of them is the problem. So it it does become difficult to wash it out. So I would highly suggest finding a food-grade one and not really compromising on trying to hope you got the soap out when you're... That's going to be something that you're watering your plants with and your animals. Right. So catching it and slowing it is the other thing. We There's a lot of ways that you can slow the water so that it's not just creating these gullies all over your property, which was a massive issue when we first moved in. Right. Um, we had tons of water just gushing down our property in specific areas. And we've just, over time, built different structures, whether it's digging trenches or putting in pipes or whatever we needed to do to be able to better harness that water into the ways that we want it to you to be you know, held or useful. But let's talk about catching it first more. So rain barrels, for sure, ponds are a great option. And that is something, you know, when you're talking about permaculture, I feel like you can distill permaculture down to water management. I mean, it yeah. really is sort of what it all is about. There's probably some permies that would not like that definition, what? but I'm okay with that. <laughs> and when we say ponds, like it doesn't have to be like an acre pond. Mm-hmm. It can be a small pond, you know, like the size of a bathtub. In fact, Abraham and I built one out of half of a black rain barrel that had broken and we cut it in half and put it in a spot so it would hold water from our driveway runoff. And since we've done that, like all this life has moved in mm-hmm. in just this one little tiny spot. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't hold water all year long, but it, it soaks it into it. Yeah, yeah, it slows it down and it soaks it into the uh, hillside. And we had a major like gully cut forming where that water before was just running down like a river off our driveway. So, and driveways are a really good example of where water can become a major issue, right? I mean, I think I know probably five out of the six homesteads I can think off the top of my head have had issues with their, with their driveways because water. Um, Well, in driveways, it's a hard, like impenetrable surface. mm -hmm. So really having a properly built driveway is important. And then the spot I was at yesterday, the guy had like, he said that he had actually let the water start kind of cutting out through his driveway because he found if you rounded his driveway off Mm -hmm. then the whole thing became mud but if it had just like one little channel to run down Mm -hmm. then that was the only spot 
where the it was mud and he could drive on the rest of it too. Which just brings us back to like I don't we didn't even really talk about but the power of water is you know it doesn't even have to be a two inch in one hour rain event. Water is powerful even going slowly. You know water is powerful no matter what. It just takes a drip of water to really create something in the earth that you know happens over time it etches through canyons you know I mean even very slowly so just remembering that power and kind of making it something that that becomes a tool on your property and that's a good example of just seeing this one issue and being able to say okay well I still want this water you're like you can't be mad at the water for falling here but how can I better manage it so that it's doing what I want it to do or even creating something new and different? So there's a, cu a couple of places on our property where I feel like that's happening. We have a hillside that I feel like has been penetrated by water in a really powerful way since we moved in. We did a lot of tree cutting down, which impacts water, you know, catchment pretty severely, but it was the only place we could garden. So we had to, in that specific area, we dug swales along the whole hillside yeah. to help slow the water. And I think that it's created a All really... All right, so you, you got to back up and backing up. define a swale. Define a swale. Oh, goodness. We're going to have to... We already talked about how we need to do a whole podcast on this. Right. Because swales are something we really often are, are encouraging folks through audits to do because it's really the most effective way to slow the water and enhance the moisture or not the moisture, well that too, but the um, the life in the soil. So a lot of times we see a lot of erosion from things that people have done. They didn't realize it was going to loosen the topsoil and then it was just going to wash away. And when you put in a swale, it stops and sinks the water. And in that water, you have all of this life, right? That you want to stop and sink as well or build up in that area. And what you'll notice is on the top side of swales, very quickly will start to grow grass again. Say you have a, like a bald area where there's you know, no life at all in the soils, very clay or, or just sand or whatever. If you build a swale, you'll see that life return very, very quickly. And okay, so I'm going to help yeah, out. Yeah, you define a swale. Uh, a swale is essentially a ditch that's put on contour is the very simple version of that. There's way more to it, and we'll do a podcast explaining it in better detail. But it it's a spot that actually it's like a hump in the hillside or in the landscape that stops the water from going so think of it as perpendicular to the flow of the water on mm -hmm. the landscape and people have done that on like huge scales swales can be you know 10 feet tall or even key lines are like mini swales and key lines are where they just etch into the ground no more than like a couple of inches deep and that also can have a powerful impact on the sinkage of your water so so it's like creating a riverbed that wasn't there and then and kind of making it there and the water generally doesn't hold there permanently it just slows and then sinks into the Sink, ground sinks into the soil which brings us kind of all the way back to the beginning of the mm -hmm. episode where we were talking about if your soil can hold the water then you can have life like you don't necessarily have to have water above the surface it can be below and in fact like in a really good pasture it can hold more water than pond of the same scale it's the statistics on it are insane and I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. You're saying soil can hold more water than a pond, yeah. Than a pond, yeah. That's fascinating. It, it's but to get there you have to develop an insanely nice pasture with mm. really deep roots. We're talking like, you know, three foot deep roots. But it's doable. It's been in the on the earth for a long time. It's just very recently in the scheme of the earth that we've gotten away from our landscapes holding that much water. 
a lot of that I think goes back to like you know mowing yards and our obsession with mowing and how that kind of just well because the root all the structure roots. Yeah. yeah so is the part that you know it penetrates the soil and it holds the water down in there creates all that micro organic life I mean it's just yeah. all of it is a piece of the same puzzle another thing you can do with swales is plant in them and it usually enhances your success rate when it comes to planting trees and things like that because again you're just nurturing the roots of that tree and sinking the water will help that tree sink its roots deeper and deeper. So, and of course you can do a number of other things. Another kind of example similar to a swale is a hugel culture. Um, oh, you gotta say that word again. Hugel culture. Yeah. I don't think you spelled it right on our notes here. I do not know how to spell hugel culture. <laughs> but a hugel culture is a fun, it's a fun fun and interesting way to kind of work, especially if you're cutting down a lot of brush and trees and that kind of thing, because you don't want to waste all of that, right? And it is it is carbon. So you can use that carbon to create some really beautiful organic matter underground. You just have to bury and build this huge mound and make sure all of that is underneath that mound. And again, a hugel culture would ideally like a swale be on contour so that then the water will also sink into that that area. So you dig basically a trench and you bury all of the organic this matter. This is like a big trench. Like you could park, well, depending on what you want to do, I guess. Like you could park a car in it or, you know, like. Yeah, people will build like ginormous hugo cultures. They could be like 20 feet high. I mean, right. and it just yeah. depends on. I've never know. seen a 20 foot one. That would be impressive. Oh, that one guy I thought of. Yeah. In, what's that guy's name? I always forget his name. Paul Wheaton. Paul Wheaton, yeah. I think he had some examples of in yeah. a northern climate. It was like zone set six or five. He had built this giant hugo culture. And the cool thing is it also creates these microclimates. So on the one side of the hugo culture, it's north facing side generally. And that side, you can grow things that like it cooler and, you know, maybe like rhubarb or apples or whatever. And then on the other side, the south facing side, this hugel culture will retain a lot of heat on that side. So you can grow things that otherwise wouldn't natively grow probably very well. So he had like lemons growing. Yeah. In. And he's like Minnesota or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Very far north it, and it cold. Re really a cool project. But yeah. So anyway, hugel culture is another really great option. And especially if you're doing a lot of land clearing and, and prepping the land, then don't, don't just make a brush pile. Take that brush and bury it and let that um, and one lesson I will say that we learned is that you can't have any parts of that brush not covered fully completely by the soil because it will it will wick the moisture out of that hugel culture and that's detriment for sure you want the um, stuff in on the inside to stay moist mm -hmm. it almost works like a sponge in there and um, people will plant like blueberries and mm -hmm. even trees on top of them and it you never like once it's established you don't really ever have to water again even like through a drought, it just has so much moisture in there. And a lot of times, you know, when people build raised beds, they do a similar thing. And it's kind of, you know, fill it with debris, like yard waste and things. And it will compact. And the hookah culture will shrink over time, too. Yeah. So something to keep yeah. in mind. We talked about rain barrels already, which I think are a huge and easy way to, to capture some of that water off the roof, particularly. I don't think people are aware of how much water comes off of the roofs on their property. I think the important thing to think about with a rain barrel is that your rain barrel are going to fill up so where is that overflow going to go once it has overflowed because you don't want those rain barrels overflowing and then just sinking into the foundation of your house again you have to manage the next step of that rain event of that water leaving the house leaving the rooftop so really kind of like start developing like a flow like after the water fills up this rain barrel where do i want it to go and then work within the landscape for that to happen mm -hmm. i think the other thing that is important with rain barrels is drip irrigation so 
drip irrigation saves time and energy once you develop it you can hook up drip irrigation along with a timer to water your gardens hooked up to your rain barrel you don't need much elevation on a rain barrel to get enough water pressure for the low low pressure emitters mm. so it, it's a way to really develop and be efficient on your homestead most homesteaders say they don't have enough time mm. and that's a reality but if you're spending all your time watering your garden hauling, hauling or, or hauling or, buckets like yeah. you're really spending a lot of time inefficiently that you could be doing another project so getting that water set up so that it your gardens and your perennials and all of that are just getting watered without you having to really think about it mm -hmm. is a really important step. I would say that you, number one, if you're moving to a property or you just moved to a property, the best way that you can spend your money is on that water infrastructure because that's going to be the name of the game. That and fences are going to be exactly, you know, and we also recommend that you wait, like not do it instantaneously when you move someplace. You need to stand back and watch. You need to walk in the rain, watch where the water is flowing where it's going and also pay attention to places on your property that have water maybe you have a creek maybe you have a pond how can you harness that and one of the things that you can do is to make sure the water is at the topmost part of your property so if you're on a hill you can use that hill to your advantage Drew was just talking about the the water pressure and if you have water at the top of your property then you don't need a a well pump at all to get it down to all the rest of the parts of your right, property. Yeah. So ideally, you want your water at the topmost point of your property. And most often, traditionally anyways, you see that people build their ponds down at the at the basin because obviously water runs down there. So it seems like, oh, naturally that's what I'm going to do. But it would be better to harness that up higher and then you have more of a, a chance to harness where that's going to go and use it in the ways that you want to before it leaves your property. You do need to be aware though, there are some water laws in terms of like if you're catching water, it also will have to leave your property at some point. So you just need to be aware of what the what the laws are on your any given property in terms of catchment. In some places there's actually rules about it. And, and you know, if you live in the desert for good reason, like you can't just keep all the water, right? Like that has to be spread out back into the environment. But, but North Carolina is pretty liberal. I think that's where swales come in better than like like a rain barrel, you know, because that way you're putting the water back into the soil instead mm -hmm. of holding it in the rain barrel. So having a rain barrel for your use and then letting it overflow into a swale would be a great way like in a desert environment to manage that water. And you can also build like a chain of ponds and they don't have to be massive. They could be small, you know, like hundred gallon ponds. So you got one at the top and one a mm -hmm. little bit lower and one a little bit lower. And, and that can be a really efficient way. And not only can you then use it to water, but you also can use, you could come up with some kind of a mill situation to create electricity. So oh, wow. really going down I know. the water. I mean, it, well, water yeah. is the most effective way to, to make electricity. It's flowing whether we like it or not. Right. So I think we overlook it and we look to solar first, but water energy collection is actually a really efficient way to to do it with ponds something that's kind of been blowing my mind recently is like especially if it's a livestock pond which i feel like you can use it for livestock and other animals but digging the pond deeper instead of wider is a, like something new that i've been hearing so mm. your surface area remains small which means less evaporation mm. and then with it being deeper it stays cooler so you know like Lacey was saying like 100 feet wide but then like 15 feet deep like that would be that would be like a hole basically <laughs> but but when you do that you're holding a ton of water but you're holding it like vertically instead of laid out flat where it's going to evaporate 
and it actually creates like less algae growth and all kinds of other because things. The sun is because one of the major. Yeah, yeah, because the sun's causing that, and your water staying cooler, so a lot of those algaes won't grow on. And I would think it would water. create like more like an ecosystem diversity that you wouldn't get. It seems like it, yeah. Depending on how deep you go, you have like those little. I'm picturing like those crazy fish you see in the ocean. Angler fish. Yeah, like an angler fish down on <laughs> the bottom. That'd be too deep. That kind of terrifies me, like with kids. Like, yeah. But yeah. I mean, it's deep. It's deep. Anyway, yeah. so let's talk about animals because I think it's an important element of harnessing water, and also, I mean, one of the major reasons we need water, right? Like we have cows now, and they drink so much water. Yeah. And that has become actually we've never had to water as much as we do now. No. Yeah. So I think that we need to reevaluate and try to plan better for these giant beasts. But we also have the opportunity, we've talked about a good amount during these during these slumps in the summer, to put moisture back into the soil through the animal urine and feces. And that's something that's really... And I will say that a lot of people talk about shoveling manure. And I don't know what you're doing wrong, but you shouldn't be shoveling manure, <laughs> right? Like, well, I know what you're doing wrong. You have ma you have manure where it shouldn't be. Right. Manure should be on the landscape, not in a barn. Right. And the more we're moving it from... Moving it around, and so it's a energy suck right and we want to think about all these different ways that we're using our time and energy as something that's a resource that we're either harnessing or wasting on our properties and if your animals are pooping in a barn then they have too much barn access <laughs> right i mean i think there's like exceptions like if you have dairy animals that have to park in there for a little bit but you really need to be in an arid environment or in a drought like the summer slump mm -hmm. the most moisture that's coming to that pasture is through the manure and through the urine. Mm -hmm. So you need to be essentially watering your pasture with manure and urine. And if you're putting it all in the barn, then you're really missing a huge opportunity. You're taking a lot of life and just storing it in one place, right. which usually we aren't growing much in the barn, so it's probably not Right, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, you can haul that to the garden and use it, but wouldn't it be more efficient to just, you know, enhance it a little bit closer to the garden? Yeah. But anyway, so, I mean, that is a lot that we've talked about. We didn't talk about things like you can create a green roof and catch water on your roof that way. Right. Uh, something simple. Yeah. And the more you plant, the deeper you plant, the more you're, you're going to harness that and keep that water on your property. So get those roots deep, as deep as you can. Stop mowing. Um, increase your livestock if that's what the problem is. Plant more trees. Trees also create a natural sink for for water, and you'll you'll find too you can create ecosystems. I mean, just think about the rainforest. The rainforest is like constantly raining because those trees are catching that water sort of out of the atmosphere and then sinking it down into the soil, and it's just this cycle, right? And the only reason that other places aren't like that is a lot of times because that land has been um, depleted of the that that greenery and i mean we know the middle east has turned a lot of it into arid desert because overgrazing and so we have a lot of control and power and we need to i think harness is the word harness, harness. is the word that yeah we i think like i was going to say on the tree thing one of the things that we talk about in regenerative ag is the idea that we're stopping a raindrop from direct contact with topsoil so whatever we can do, whether it's trees or grass or mulch. shrubs or mulch, mulch is a huge we, we want that aid. raindrop to not, once a raindrop hits bare soil, the splash up of it actually splashes away topsoil mm -hmm. and that causes erosion and that's where we get to that desert environment. Mm -hmm. So you always want a canopy, you, you never want to see bare soil. 
-hmm. bare soil is our enemy. So (laughs) what can we do to make sure that there's not bare soil, whether it's trees, shrubs, mulch, whatever? Well, I would say bare soil is sick soil, not our enemy, but something that we need to Right, something we we need need to to help. Heal. Yeah, Yeah. heal. Yeah. So ground I, cover. I yeah. mean, I think things simple as clover, you know, clover, throw yeah. out clover and you have a living mulch that's going to just create sinking and right. hold moisture and, you know, be good for the bees. I mean, there's just multiple levels to that. So, you know, it doesn't have to be a massive swale. Just if you see that bare soil, take action and do something proactive to not just keep mowing it or. Yeah. You know. I mean, it could be as simple as throwing straw over top of it mm-hmm. for the season, you sure. know, yeah. and um, in some time it will heal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think like ultimately, oh, I was going to say yeah. animals cause massive erosion too. So we need to be a little bit careful with them because one of the major things that we've seen on homesteads is overgrazing leads to right. loss. I mean, we talked about that on a desert level, but on a homestead level, it can create major erosion problems. And that's something that we really need to be careful of when we see animals digging in the mud or, you know, when they're creating bare soil, that means when the next rain event comes, that soil is going to be washed away because those roots are gone. Right. So you need to be really cautious with your animals and how you're grazing them, not just for regenerative property or potential, but for the sake of saving. And especially if you're on a hillside, there's just a lot to be cautious. Well, about. I mean, I think the reality is that if you continue to overgraze your animals, like if you see bare soil showing up when your animals are grazing, the reality is that the next year it's most likely going to be worse. Mm-hmm. So you need to be aware of that and make a conscious decision of like, it depends on your homestead, but do you want to be feeding hay to your animals? Do you want to be losing your topsoil? You know, if you don't have enough room, but you really have to have those animals and you want them standing in mud, mm-hmm. then that's a decision. But if you don't, then you need to think about like, how long has this grass had to recover and is it enough time before you graze an animal on it again? That's a really good Mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. And we have seen that on some homesteads where, you know, people are like, well, this is what I want. I thought I was doing this. Or, you know, you've seen where they've lost like three feet of topsoil and in, in in like five lifetimes, you're not going to return three feet of topsoil. So, I mean, that's a major issue. Mm -hmm. So yeah, animal management, and that's like a whole nother podcast that we could talk about for a really long time. I would love to, but (laughs) I feel like we need to wrap this one up. We do. What I would say is that when you get on your homestead, one of the first things that you need to do to sum all this up for us is you need to get out there and you need to be in the rain and walking and finding out where your water is going mm-hmm. and making a plan to manage that I water. I can't tell you how many times we've talked to people and been like, okay, where does where is northeast, southwest, you know, and people don't know that. And they also right. don't know where their water flows after when it's raining. And if you don't know those two things, then you're starting way ahead of the before you're ready. <laughs> you have right. to be prepared and you have to know where your water is coming and going. Know um, where your sun is coming from <laughs> yeah. and know where your water is mm-hmm. coming and going and then slow that down. All and, of that. Capture yeah. all of that. Right. So Yeah, photo, photosynthesize the sun and <laughs> hold on to the water. That's the magic, magic and, combo. And I will say that can be intimidating and we are here to help you with that. So mm-hmm. if that's something that you do want help with, we do a homestead audit. You can go to the schoolhouselife.com and we can come out to your property or if you're far away, we can do it virtually. But we can help you create a plan and understand some of those basic decisions or more advanced if you're like, hey, I got water under control, but what's next? We can help you with that also. So it's the schoolhouselife.com homestead audit. Uh, It's in the menu and it's at the top of the website. And we'd love to help you get that going. 
All right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode.